Yes, indeed. That is I, Mr. Stevie Knight. I don't know if exactly we are um, Europe's number one pro wrestling podcast, especially on the very first episode, but um, <laughs> it's worth a try, isn't it? And I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Richard Young, better known as Camp Youngie. How are you, Youngie? Oh, Stevie Knight, what a uh, what a new era of podcasting this is because the world needs another wrestling podcast, doesn't it? And we There's are... There's not the, enough. Not enough. Um, There's not enough. It is not a crowded market at all. And uh, we're just, you know, what we are doing is adding quality to, let's be honest, a mediocrity um, bunch. There's, there's not enough, and the, the problem is a lot of the people that have got one out, none of them have got the experience that we've got. Who are they? You know, I mean, you, who are you've got a, who, who are these people? You know, who is Arn Anderson? Never who is them. Bruce Pritchard? And you, know, you know, who is Bruce Pritchard? Who is he? Who Stone you know Cold I mean? Steve so, Austin? Never heard of the lad. Stone Cold Steve Austin. What has he ever done? Do you know what I mean? So I figured that a couple of lads with proper experience would get in on the job. You know, Steve Knight, former British heavyweight champion, former UW, well, not former, current and reigning UWA television 20 champion. 20-year reign, ladies and gentlemen. 20, 20 year, year well, 25 years in British wrestling, you know. Uh, yeah, and then Richard Young, you know, you started joining me, coming, travelling down to the shows. I got you a gig one day as a ring announcer, and boom, there you are now, promoter of BWR, and uh, a world-renowned... Uh, ring announcer, you know, so what, here we are. What you did, Steve Knight, was you made a star, didn't you? You put somebody over. Uh, and, and in fact, what we will talk about that later on, about you putting people over, because of some sad news today relating to somebody that you have put over, but we will talk about that a little bit later on. Yeah, quite a few of the people uh, who I know literally, literally, literally uh, just heard that uh, a lot of guys that I know have just been released by WWE, which I must make clear, we're not really going to talk much about WWE on this show. Uh, there's a lot of podcasts out there that talk about WWE and AEW and all these things, and uh, straight up from... Uh, I don't really watch them that much. Uh, we'll probably discuss mainly a lot of British wrestling mm. on here. Uh, we'll get a lot of guests, a lot of my mates will come on, um, have a chat um, about their storied history in British wrestling. We might get a few Americans on as well, because I know quite a few of those guys, and we'll talk about American wrestling. We can talk about it. Uh, we know a lot about it as well. Uh, but maybe it'll be stuff from the past, you know, a lot of... Um, uh, kayfabe news do they call it there's a one there's a big site in america and it's um a history site you know talking about uh, 80s 90s i want sordid stories that's what i want this this show will not be politically correct let me tell you that absolutely not and uh, and i'm quite a pc man as you know steve knight but let's be honest the best wrestling stories are not very pc are they let you know they are not. they are the dark side of the ring not to uh, steal a term there oh, but by the way when i say dark side of the ring i don't want this show to become morbid let's let, let's not kind of talk about that but we want we want funny stories we want we want people that don't maybe get their stories heard as well Exactly. Yeah, there's there's some amazing people out there. In fact, I just spoke to a chap called Mal Mason. Now, people go, Ooh, who's Mal Mason? 
Mal Mason's been a referee in Britain, Germany, all around the world for years and years. You might remember him. He was in Chris Jericho's first book, an amazing chapter about Mal Mason. I'll I'll read that out um, when we have Mal Mason on, um, and I'm sure Mal will talk about that. Mal's been in the job for years uh, and has got some fantastic stories, and I guarantee it'll be an amazingly funny episode, uh, but not the first guy you'd ever think of. But what you know, he's been in Germany when Chris Jericho was in Germany, and loads of famous Americans. And I can guarantee that he's going to have some great stories. So, uh, literally, we've got so many great guests lined up who's going to have some great stories. Uh, great stories don't automatically come from the biggest names. That's all I'm trying to say. Absolutely not. And and, and sometimes it takes somebody neutral to get the better stories. Someone like Mal Mason, who is just the eyes and the ears and who has seen it all and he's seen people come up and seen people come down. People like that, probably they have the treasure trove of quality stories and that, they're the people we're going to bring to you on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, just to, just to, as, a, as a heads up, people that I've got coming up guaranteed already, like I say, Mal Mason. Uh, speaking of Masons, James Mason, uh, a guy I respect greatly and I know a lot of people do. Uh, 25 years in British wrestling, James Mason. Started when he was 14. That's when I first met him. Um, and he's been all around the world wrestling, still wrestling. Um, he's going to be coming on shortly. Phil Powers is coming on. Uh, we got Roy Knight from the Fighting With My Family movie. Um, and I've asked also um, his stepmom to come on as well. Um, the what, What's her wrestling name? Sweet Soraya, of Sweet course. Soraya, I, okay. I know her by her real name. So, um, yeah, uh, vicious lady, uh, but a sweetheart outside the ring. So that whole family of the Knights, I know them very well. So hopefully we'll get them on. We've also got from my podcast that I did a couple of years ago, uh, we're going to replay the classic. I'm going to upload them uh, at the same time as I upload this one. Um, we've got some absolute classics with Marty Jones, a guy who... Uh, really uh, made this junior heavyweight style wrestling popular in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, along with Dynamite Kid, Matt Rocco. Uh, we're going to upload Marty Jones' interview and uh, an unheralded star uh, who should be an absolute household name but didn't quite get there but was just top, top-notch wrestler called Danny Boy Collins. Yes. Um, if you're a fan of UK wrestling, you'll know who Danny Collins is. Um, and Ricky Knight, the star of the movie Fighting With My Family, an absolutely hilarious interview with him as well. So we're going to upload that. Uh, and then um, the very first guest that we're going to have on, you don't know about this, actually, Youngie, uh, but literally just put the phone down, uh, just spoken to the reigning uh, defending NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Mr. Nick Aldis. Wow, uh, is going to be coming on. Yeah, he's going to be coming on this week. So, um, but we've got Nick Aldis for this very interview today. What a first guest! If we got, you know, you're talking about names in professional wrestling right now. Nick Aldis, what a story from kind of being an outcast with TNA almost to becoming one of the most talked about independent wrestlers in the world and 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 reviving the NWA brand as well. So that's a fantastic first guest. It's uh, it's brilliant. You know, it's one of the few modern shows that I'll watch because it, it's just got such, you know, the, the promos are not scripted, doesn't feel like the guys are not talking like they wouldn't talk. Um, and, you know, the wrestling is, um, it, it, ugh, I, you know, I don't want to sound like an old man, but it, it's like wrestling. It's not, it's not... Um, just people doing things for for the for the pop of the crowd. Well, it's it's, uh, it's, it's a modern show that's not modern, isn't it? And exactly. That's, that's the yeah, appeal of exactly. it. It's yeah. It's a throwback to what we grew up with. It's the throwback to the wrestling that we watched. 
That's the one thing that that I, I don't want to, and no doubt I will slip into this while we're doing this show, uh, because you know the wrestling now is the the athleticism and everything is absolutely top notch, absolutely fantastic. You will Ospreys and things, you know. I watch them in awe. It's just absolutely unbelievable. Uh, but I'm definitely uh, more of a fan of um, storytelling um, and. Um, things that make sense rather than things that um, are there just to make you go, ooh, and ah. That, that's definitely my style of wrestling. Yeah, completely. Um, I, I, and it's funny because that I honestly think that there is still a big market for that style of wrestling as well. There is um, – you, you watch WWE at the moment, the things that are getting over, things like Edge versus Randy Orton – and they're just doing old school storytelling. Nothing flash, nothing fancy. It is what it is. It, it it's nitty gritty down in the dirt wrestling. I think that's. I mean, there's a time and a place for everything. I, I've always said, um, and there's something uh, that I've done and done with you in the past as well is promote shows. Some very successful, you know, uh, two thousand people at some shows. Uh, and then other shows, 20. <laughs> uh, but uh, 2,000 people at some shows. And I've always said it should be a buffet. It should be like a buffet of things. Uh, you have two great big fat guys. Um, you have a guy who's seven foot tall. Um, you have some lightweights that do the amazing high flying. Um, you have a mix for a little bit of something for everybody. Absolutely. And that's that's the beauty of wrestling. Um, and that's why wrestling is such a popular sport, I think. Uh, and I still think, you know, I, I like the word sport. Um, I know the argument was a few months ago, um, are you a wrestler or are you a, was it a performance artist? That yes, they, uh, yes. That they were calling themselves. And- it's, be, it's because they were trying to get Actors Union uh, membership, weren't they? So it was the argument would be that if you want to be in the Actors Guild or you want to be an Actors member, that then you should be classing yourself as a performing artist as opposed to a professional wrestler. Well, that's a difficult one, isn't it? But I mean, is that what a wrestler is? Is a wrestler a performance artist? And, and you know, and that's, it, it, if you call yourself a wrestler, a wrestler may just be a performance artist. So um, you're a wrestler at the end of the day, I suppose. And um, I think I think you don't. I don't think you do yourself any justice by not calling yourself a wrestler. I think it's a um, you should you should stand proud and 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 tell people what you are. I don't I don't think you need to um, tell yourself you're, you're something that you're not. If that makes sense. I think being a wrestler is one of the the most diverse kind of performance artists in the in itself. That that word wrestler means not only have you got to be kind of uh, the have that element of performance art, but also as well you've got to be an athlete and you've got to have so many different facets. And how many actors go and work in front of live crowds seven days a week, two times a day, wherever it may be. There's not many. There's not many athletes that can do that, and there's not many actors that can do that. Being a wrestler is a very special brand. Oh, I mean, look at me. I, I did it. I I did it full time for thirteen years, um, and then part time for seven. Uh, and my body is. I mean, you you know me. Uh, I'm I'm completely destroyed. Uh, I've had two back operations. Um, I'm wheelchair if we go. Um, anywhere that requires too much walking. I'm absolutely knackered. Um, and people say, is that from wrestling? Uh, I I would certainly think it's not helped. Um, it's it's uh, done my body uh, no good at all. But um, 
it it was great, you know. It it was so much fun, and and when I was wrestling, it was at a bad time in in wrestling. It was uh, we had we had low crowds sometimes. Sometimes we had great crowds, uh, but it it was it was good fun. It was great times. Um, uh, would I take it back? People often ask me. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's times that I possibly think about would I take it back. And there's times maybe I would take some of the pain and the suffering that I that I have now, but I certainly would never take back the laughs that I shared and some of the great people that I've met. Yeah, that's. I mean, and that kind of brings us on to today's cuts, doesn't it? Because the WWE have stockpiled wrestlers for years and years and years. Yet, bizarrely, it's the same people that we see on TV every week, um, every time, every time, and. Um, it's it's funny. So and someone talked about this earlier. They've made all these cuts, they've made all these releases. Yet Goldberg and Brock Lesnar's contracts alone are worth twenty million dollars a year to the WWE. <laughs> but I mean, you know, what do we know? And they must know something we don't. You know, they must bring in the money. Oh, they. You would argue, yeah. I mean, if think there must be something that. Keeps it you know, makes them keep investing that kind of money in them two talents. Exactly. I mean, they're not daft, are they? Vin- uh, for all the things that Vince McMahon may be, he's not stupid. No. But I've just I've just brought this up on the Observer, and uh, you got Kurt Hawkins, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, EC3. I don't. I, I, I say I don't watch it, but I don't think they ever did anything with him. No, did they? no. no. Uh, Leo Rush, Eric Young, Heath Slater, Aiden English. Kurt Angle. Yeah, Kurt Angle's gone. Uh, Sarah Logan, Mike Chowder, Chowder. Kanellis, um, Mike Eric, Kanellis. Uh, uh, Eric Rowan, Primo, Epico, Mike Kanellis, Maria Kanellis, Zach Ryder has been there forever, hasn't 15 he? 15 years, yeah, 15 yeah, years has been there. No way, Jose. And then, of course, the saddest one for us uh, is our mate, little James, uh, Rockstar Spud, Drake Maverick. Uh, very good mate of mine. Uh, absolutely gutted for him because they've, they've never really done that much with him. But on on the same token, um, phew, um, he's the lad's done so well. I mean, you know, he's he's a guy that's five foot four, five foot three from Birmingham. Um, he's he's been around the world. He's wrestled in Japan. He's been to TNA. He's been to WWE. I'm gutted for him. Um, that this has happened, but on the same token, the lad's done amazing. You know, it's um, it's a bittersweet story, isn't it? I think. Um, firstly, he's he's been he's been mainly on WWE TV for at least three or four years, and then for somebody and for somebody of his size, of being from England, like you mentioned, because you know when he got signed, they weren't signing that many from the UK. No, no. Um, no. To go and have the career that he's had is nothing short of a miracle. It is really. it's amazing, absolutely amazing, and it's gutting for him. It's absolutely gutting, and I'm gutted for him because he's got a great mind for the job as well, an Absol- absolutely brilliant mind for the job. And I honestly thought that, um, from what I can gather uh, from talking to other uh, people in America and, and things, he's very well thought of by people, and I, I thought he would get a job. Uh, writing or booking or whatever they would call it nowadays. Um, so I'm I'm really gutted that this has happened. Which brings us to what 
you know, we'll definitely talk about much more on this show, which is what it's probably done to uh, the British wrestling scene, uh, which is literally completely without television, like WWE has, on hold, on standby. Um, and I would imagine that there's uh, a lot of people that's lost a lot of money because if you had a show booked, uh, you paid for your advertising, um, so gutted for those people. Uh, what about your company, BWR? Was that um, did that have shows planned or anything? Yeah, we, we, we're one show down already, and it looks like we're going to be two shows down because our next show is scheduled for end of May, and we don't expect anything to change between now and then. So we're probably thinking that that show in the end, of, you know, as as time stands, hopefully it may, I may be wrong. We may be wrong, but like I, I think common sense is probably going to tell us that the end of May is not possible either. Um, we. From we we were very kind of fortunate because we were ready to launch the on-demand service anyway, but it just so happened that all this all this kind of kicked off, and it allowed us to launch the on-demand service when when there wasn't any wrestling going on. So actually, we've had a really strong uptake on on that, which has kind of just just kept us going really, and just get that, that, so that so then monthly subscribers to the new on demand service that we've got have, have just kind of kind of kept us afloat and kept us going for now. Um, it's not we're in a decent position, but what what you feel for is the lads that are full time, you know, the lads that are full time wrestlers that haven't got WWE deals or but. They were around a couple of years ago when that boom of British wrestling happened. We know when when companies were starting to get on TV and World of Sport was happening and all them kind of things that were allowed to kind of go and make go and make this their full time living and earn a decent living from it. Have suddenly had a lot of that taken away from them, and, and y- your heart goes out to them. Yeah, they must be. I mean, you can't work at all. I mean, there must there must be guys. Um... Well, yeah, I mean, I know there is. I know there's guys that are not able to earn a single penny. Um, the, you know, the full-time wrestlers, uh, Nathan Cruz, etc. Uh, they're not able to work at all. Um, so that must be absolutely devastating for them. So, um, And the Knights, I mean, the poor Knights at WAW, they've got, um, obviously, the whole family wrestles and then they've got their wrestling school and... They're not allowed to open that or anything. So, yeah, they, they must be really, really hard hit. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's got such a knock-on effect to not, I mean, not only wrestling, but obviously the whole, the, the business in the whole is going to completely change. And, and I think, and I've said to you before about this, is coronavirus isn't the thing that really worries me. It's going to be the knock-on effect. It's how does how do we recover from this from a, from an economic point of view? It's going to be a, a very kind of strange year, twenty twenty. But you know, hopefully, like I said, absence will make the heart grow fonder when it comes to wrestling and when wrestling is ready to come back, when live shows are ready to come back, people will be ready to be entertained and they want good nights out and they want a bit of fun. And hopefully, we can bring that to them. Yeah, I think it's going to work. I think people are going to are going to want to go out and have a good night out. And I think I think the wrestling because wrestling isn't a particularly expensive night out. Um, and I, one thing that wrestling fans are is they're very loyal. 
Yes. Um, so I, I do think that they'll reappear quite quickly. Uh, so I guess on the very first, it's nighttime featuring Youngie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like the pit bull to your Jennifer Lopez. There you go. Yeah, you are. Oh, God. Uh, I can't stand that pit bull. Oh, Mr. God, he's so, he's so annoying, yeah. isn't he? I, mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't mind having J-Lo here, obviously. He's no, I bubble, mean, he's no bubble of ranks to Peter Andre, is he? No, no. I mean, Peter Andre's a legend, and J-Lo... 50 years old that woman is yeah. 50 years old she looks incredible she, she does and so does My so does God. Aniston as well Aniston's up there yeah she's I, I, you know I'm, I'm watching reruns of Friends at the minute and it's still like the best show ever made just the best show ever made. I just love Friends. Anyway, I think this wrestling podcast is just going to talk about all kinds of things. I think by, by the third week, we'll just forget about wrestling and just be like a, a, a pop culture podcast. Anyway, our first guest ever uh, on the brand new uh, It's Nighttime kind of wrestling podcast uh, is the uh, reigning, defending, current NWA World Heavyweight Champion, uh, and I managed to get him because he's a really good mate of mine. Uh, known him since he first started in the wrestling business. Uh, Mr. Nick Aldis, uh, former TNA World Champion as well. Uh, former Gladiator in the UK. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not entirely sure. Do you know uh, Nick, Youngie? Yes, I've worked for Nick. Um when Nick promoted shows in Grimsby for three years on the run, and I helped him uh, kind of do his local marketing. So, yeah, you know Nick. Yeah, he's a smashing fella, uh, and he's over in America at the minute. Uh, like the rest of us, stuck in the house. He said it would be a pleasure to come on and have a chat, Steve. Uh, so we talk about all things uh, NWA, how he started in the UK, a little bit of TNA thrown in there as well, uh, and just a little bit of everything, really. He's a parent. Uh, like you and like me, Youngie. Um, and uh, we talk a bit about parenthood as well with his travelling schedule and Mickey's travelling schedule. And it's a nice, interesting chat. Uh, so enjoy. This is Nick Aldis. How are you, sir, anyway? I'm all right. You know, just um, same as everyone else, really. I mean, well, not the same as everyone else. I'm much more fortunate than a lot of people because I'm still getting a paycheck. So, Well, that's interesting you say that because I've just been reading Twitter from Dave Meltzer. Oh, Christ. Have you not? Have you not seen this? Uh well, what's the late? I mean, I, I was very active, so you'll have to you'll have to enlighten me what what you're referring. There to you go. The, the NWA only has one full time oh, talent. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, I assume that's you. Well, I don't know. I mean, I know I am. So I mean, he 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 must be referring to me. But yeah, there's a lot to digest go at the moment. It's it's um uh. Between you know, between all the the headlines that WWE are making on you know on a daily basis with with how they're dealing with stuff, and then with you know with all the other people kind of chiming in, and a lot of people with a lot of time on their hands now, and unfortunately that doesn't always bode well for social media. It's crazy, crazy times, isn't it? I think before we start, we should say a word about Howard Finkel. Yeah, yeah. best around. Very, yeah. I mean. To me, that was um, that was when I started wrestling. Uh, not what, not wrestling. Watching wrestling, uh, eighty-seven. Uh, he was wrestling. If you if you think of um, yeah, WWF, you know, announcing the Royal Rumble. I can I can literally uh, read that start for you for the Royal Rumble. Yeah, he was the voice of the. He was the voice of wrestling. He was the voice of so many of our childhoods. He's a, he's a sweetheart of a guy too. He was. I, I put a little post out earlier, but it's. It, 
you know, every time I would run into him either at a WWE thing or at a, at a convention of something, he was always super sweet. And for a guy who has been around so many people and so many genuine stars, so he, he always would be like, Nick, good to see you. Oh, you're doing really well. I'm really, you know, I'm really impressed with your work. You know, he was like really, he was always really, really paid close attention to the business and to the people in it. And just a, yeah, just a genuine class act. Yeah, very sad. Very, very sad. It's been a, a, a sad time on uh, on social media reading. Our, our friend, um, Mr. Curtin, Mr. Spud, Mr. Drake Maverick, of course, put out a video as well. Yes. Uh, nearly had three million views. Three million views, that video. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Uh, I feel very sad for him. But uh, if, you, if you, you've got a lot, I mean, I look at that two or three ways. I think um, he's done so well as well. You know, when, when you think... Uh, a tiny guy from Birmingham um, has been all around the world and has been signed to literally every major wrestling company. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, you know. I, I mean, I, you know, Jay's a, Jay's a sweetheart and he, he, he perhaps, he wears his heart on his sleeve perhaps a little too much and he's, and he's perhaps, you know, even, even in the world of wrestling, he can, he can be a little too sensitive. And I think that he, I think he, you know, it'll take some time, but, I think it, you know he was just he's devastated and and if if broadcasting that to the world sort of helps him get through it and make him make him feel better then I guess more power to him I I the, my the, my only thing watching when I was watching it was obviously you know he's my friend and I felt bad for him but at the same time I was kind of thinking it's not you know it's not forever man it's 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 just a thing right now and how you cope with this and how you come out the other end and it's I think you know some of those guys might end up getting signed back it's just that they, they just they just made that call right now because they're just not operating at that capacity you know and I've seen a lot of, yeah I've seen a lot of um debate and you know uh, obviously Meltzer like you mentioned earlier he's he's been he's been very very active uh discussing a lot of this stuff and I know that he's really like a lot of people are they're, they're trying to take WWE to task and I, I you know maybe that, that, that who's to say who's right or wrong I, I, I'm not you know I'm not a financial expert I'm not and I'm certainly not uh, someone privy to you know that level of inside information at WWE but ultimately it's like no one can deny that they had a huge talent roster like they had they probably had too much talent anyway and you know it's one thing when you've got like three television shows that are all live that are all, you know, and live events and different and, and three live touring schedules and international tours and stuff like that. But when you don't have that and you're just for the time being running bare bones kind of, you know, live shows in an, in an empty soundstage or an empty studio, it's like, yeah, you don't need that much talent. And it's, you know, it, your independent contract is, and it's a supply and demand business, you know, and, Unfortunately, it's like when you know we're not immune to that. And um, like I said, I, I I was just texting with with one of my buddies at NXT, and it's just, you know it's like, hey, <laughs> we're 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 both still getting a check, so we're lucky. We're the lucky ones, you know. And I'm I'm not just talking about within wrestling. I'm talking about in in the entire world. And you know, it's it, it's this is something bigger than wrestling, bigger than everything. And it's just. You know, unfortunately, some businesses, particularly ones that have 
uh, grown to a level that are, you know, the sort of critical mass, you know, it's, it's obviously, you know, things have to happen and, you know, measures have to be taken. But I do, I do think that Jay is talented enough to be able to, you know, make it work. And look, again, and I'm not trying to be cold about this, but you're, there are a lot of guys, including me, who've never even had one chance there. And, and it, whether, you know, not, and this, this is not talking about the, the, the sort of the, the, the pomp and circumstance or, of the, or, you know, the being enamored with being a WWE superstar and stuff. I'm just talking purely from a business point of view. That's the best place to make a living, right? It's, that's where the big money is. And it's like, if you had a chance to get there, everyone, I'm sorry, everyone in the business should know by now, if they've been around enough veterans, they'll tell you, Hey, get in, make as much as you can and get out like, and save your money because there are, you know, nothing is guaranteed. We're independent contractors. And so hopefully, you know, Jay's been smart with his money and I hope, hopefully a lot of those guys have, I mean, some of those guys that got let go, Mike Kyoto has been there for 30 years, but like some of those guys have been there for over a decade and, you know, you know, probably been on pretty handsome downside guarantees for a hell of a lot more than a lot of us have been making. So it's kind of like, you know, that, that, that they're still lucky. They're still a lucky ones because they got, they got a chance to dip their, you know, dip their cup in that, in that, WWE money pit so it's like you know it, it it's unfortunate but um I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how people come out the other side of this on on a lot of different levels well it, yeah nothing nothing lasts forever there does it yeah. now sorry youngie youngie you were gonna say sorry yeah I, I, it's it's a very interesting period and obviously it's a big short-term hit for the wrestling business but do you think nick that maybe a break absence might actually make the heart grow fonder for a lot of kind of wrestlers and for companies. And in this little period of time that we've got off that perhaps in three or four months time, when hopefully this thing is over, then maybe we'll appreciate wrestling a little bit more and we'll be, everyone will be willing to kind of put their hands in the pocket again and spend money on the business. I I hope so. And I I agree with you that, I mean, there, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of indicators that would suggest that that might be the case, but you know, who, who's to say it? it's, it's weird. That's the, I think that's what's so difficult about a situation like this that we're in right now is that it's completely uncharted territory, right? No one, no, no one really knows anything. It's all, everything's speculative, but um, I think that, you know, I, I do sit back and especially looking at, looking at stuff from, from our point of view at the NWA, you know, it's it's concerning just because we're a fledgling brand and a fledgling group, and we had we've got you know we've done twenty episodes of our TV of our TV show or YouTube show. So it's like we're not you know that that's not really enough to sort of really really in, embed in in the minds of the sort of wider wrestling audience. So it's like for us, it's like yeah, we, we've got to sort of we've got to hustle to stay visible but at the same time not dilute the quality of what we're doing just for the sake of being seen, you know? And I think that's also some advice that I would probably pass on to any and all wrestlers right now is like, Hey, you know, don't, don't feel compelled to put shit out just because you feel like you need to be seen every day. If it's not quality, then all you're doing is just harming your value because you just, you know, you're going to post 
dumb like TikTok videos and stuff every day of you like dancing around in your undies and stuff like just just because you think that it will help you stay visible you know and, you, and you're worried you're going to lose like your invisible friends like that's uh, that's a bad move in my opinion you know quality speaks for itself and overexposure uh, particularly you know overexposure will kill you even when it's on the actual show that you're on let alone when you're just giving it away for free on social media because you you did take a career dip yourself, Nick. I mean, the last time we did a podcast together, we've seen each other in the meantime. Uh, but the last time we did a podcast together, you were TNA World Champion, right? Um, what what went wrong um, with yourself in TNA? And the bigger story is what went wrong with TNA. So I'll 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 cover mine first. I think it was just unfortunately sometimes in this business. You know, you re- you require a, re- a relationship, you know, and unfortunately, a relationship can deteriorate for a number of reasons. So it's like, I, you know, uh, it was I, I sort of I I do hold up my hands and take my fair share of the responsibility for that because TNA at that point, you know, I had been I had been there. I would started in two thousand nine and. So by the time we get to the end of 2013, I'm almost almost five years in the company, and I and and I I was the world champion on my sort of fifth anniversary, uh, and during that time, you know, <laughs> the, the the management structure changed like four times, you know, it it was you know one when it's sort of Vince Russo's head of creative and Terry Taylor's head of talent and. Jeff Jarrett's kind of still, you know, still sort of semi in charge along with Dixie and then Jeff is gone. And then it's, you know, now it's sort of, then it's Bruce Pritchard is here and Terry is gone. And then it's now Eric Bischoff is here and, you know, and Bruce, and then it's like, and now Bruce is gone and John Gaburik is here and now Bischoff is gone. And now it's just all Gaburik, you know? And it was just like, I, I, I kind of, I went through this cycle there where, the whole time I'm, I'm improving all the time. Like I started off very green, you know, and then I get to work with this just huge wealth of talent. I mean, I'm getting, you know, tag with Doug and that really helps get, you know, sort of, uh, helped me earn my stripes. I work with beer money who are the hottest act in the company. I then get to, you know, I get to sort of, uh, I work with the Dudleys and I get to work with a lot of the, you know, a lot of the other top guys and I get to be around them. I get to sit under the learning tree of Nash and I get to, you know, really earn my, earn my sort of credibility with Sting. And then Sting decides he wants to work with me and it progresses and progresses. And it's like, I, you know, I, I stick it out. I work my way up the card. I work to the middle of the card. I start, I, I put in a team with Joe and then, a, and then a feud with Samoa Joe and we, and we tear the house down and it's like, I keep, you know, chipping away and chipping away. But every time someone new would come in, it would be like, well, who's this guy? He hasn't been at WWE. Oh, he's, how old is he? He's only 25 or 20. Oh, he's just a kid. Oh, listen to me, kid. You know, you got to, you got to prove yourself and you got to earn your credit, you know, and all this. And I would, and I'd be like, well, I've been doing that, you know? And yeah, by the time I'd heard that for like the fourth time, I did have a bit of a chip on my shoulder and it was a bit difficult to deal with. And then, you know the 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 problem with, with, with you know with with the, by the time I won the title there and stuff was it was just a deterioration of the relationship with me and John Gaburik because John was in a situation where he had you know maneuvered to sort of 
get all the power, you know, head of talent, head of creative, basically the buck stops with him. And he had sort of taken me to one side when he first came in and was like, I want you to be my guy, you know, and this and that. And I was kind of like, all right, but I've been here for four years, you know, and, and I, and I, and I said to him, look, no offense, but I know what, I know the heat that comes with that because I've been labeled as Dixie's guy and I've been labeled as Jeff's guy. And, you know, it's, I said, it's more harm than good. So like I said, look, I, while I'm under contract, you know, I will be as loyal as I've, I've always been loyal and I had the same conversation with Eric and that's when Eric and, you know, that's when my relationship with Eric turned the corner because I just said, listen, man, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I'm loyal to whoever's paying me my money. And that's not, that's, you know, that that's all anyone should be. Right. But, but w- w- while I'm being paid and I'm under contract, yeah, like I'll, you, you'll get everything I've got, you know, and I basically had that same conversation with big and like we got to, you know, we got to the end of the year and I, I won the title and unfortunately I got a mat, you know, suffered a bad concussion in that match. And ironically, uh, it was, it was Spud who coincidentally, who was there with me when I won the title and he stayed, he stayed up with me all night in my hotel room, you know, not, not going to sleep just to, to make sure I was okay. And I wasn't, you know, because obviously when you get a concussion that you've got to be really careful for the next few hours and stuff. But, um, it just, it was just very bad timing. Like it came at the same time as AJ Styles left the company. And that really felt like the sort of heart and soul had been ripped out, you know, or certainly a lot of the cultural sort of center of the, of the brand had been, had sort of left. And, uh, it also, their, their, the company's relationship with Spike TV had deteriorated significantly. And I just think that big was under all this pressure because of that. So he's getting hammered about losing AJ about, you know, the spike deal falling apart. So the company's suddenly looking at a, you know, completely different revenue, you know, and all this kind of thing, a very, very similar to, to what, what WWE is looking at right now, where they're suddenly like, Oh, well we were going to make this and now we're only going to make this. And I think that between, you know, he wasn't really well, he wasn't that experienced and equipped for that sort of position. And I was very new and not very well equipped for being the top guy. And there were a lot of guys at TNA who had been in WWE or had been out who were absolute sharks, who did everything they could to like make me look bad or to, you know, politic and maneuver because they smelled blood in the water. So, you know, it's like I would get to, I'd get to house shows, you know, I remember doing house shows like after I won the title and it would say like, you know, me versus Samoa Joe for the world title, but it would be like semi main event. And then it would be like, so what do you, what do you mean semi main event? You know, what's going on last? Oh, it's a bully Ray in a tables match, you know? And I'd be like, what? You know, and they'd be like, well, you know, Bubba just thought that, you know, the table, the table spot is like a better sort of send them home happy thing. I was like, oh, Bubba thought that did he, you know what I mean? Like you know, for the good of the company, of course, you know? And I was just like, so, you know, between all those different things and um, I, you know, and bearing in mind, I was 26, 27, like I was still, you know, I was still a kid and like, I just, so I, I, instead of, instead of sort of pulling more of a team around me and just kind of going like, okay, help me. I felt like everybody was out for themselves and was, everyone was out to get me. And I, so I sort of, did like any, you know, like I was like a cornered, I was like a cornered animal, you know what I mean? So I just started lashing out at everyone. So it was a sort of, it was just an unfortunate breakdown of, 
of a relationship on sort of multiple levels. And uh, fortunately, I had a sort of a no cut contract. So I basically got to a point where I said, you know what? Like, and then again, I'm not saying this was the right thing to do. I'm just saying this is the way it happened. I just went, you know what? I'm due for a raise in like X amount of months. I don't give a fuck what you do with me. You know what I mean? Like take the title off me. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? I get paid either way. And they were just like, oh my God, I can't believe that you just said that, blah, blah, blah. And I said, look, I stay, I stayed here because I thought I had a chance to become the world champion because I wanted to see it through to the end. You know, I wanted to break that glass ceiling and I wanted to prove that I could do it, you know, but I probably could have gone to WWE at some point during that TNA run. I mean, I had a couple of, I've got, I've still got emails where like whoever it was at that time was literally like, wow, please call me ASAP if you're available and stuff, you know? So it's, I'm pretty sure I had a half decent shot of going, do you know what I mean? And like, I I stuck it out because I felt like I was going to learn more being at TNA because it was a better, I had access to a more of a talent roster. You know, I was working with the top guys and I knew if I went to WWE, I would probably just sort of be in in developmental and nothing wrong with that. But I was sitting there going, man, I'm getting to work with Kurt Angle and, you know, AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and all these, you know, tremendous performers. And then it was, I just, I don't know. I just, I felt like I just, I felt like a patsy, you know what I mean? I felt like, um, there was such a, there was such an emotional reaction to AJ leaving from the, from the audience. And it was really at the time where social media was really starting to dominate the narrative in pro wrestling. And so I just got like, I just got handed a, you know, that belt was a fucking hand grenade. Like they just went, here you go, you know? And, and, uh, so, you know, I didn't handle it that well. And honestly, I, even when I had the, you know, the thing, I, even when I had the world title at TNA and there was 2 million people watching the show, which is the same amount of people that watch Raw or SmackDown now, <laughs> it's like I still wasn't getting to make any decisions. You know, I was a part, like, I, I had, you know, it, it wasn't like how I am now. And it's just funny to read sort of the, the, um, the, the sort of narrative on me now from the last two years since the end of it is like, Oh man, he carries himself so well, you know, he's got such gravitas, you know, he's just, he's, he's such a real, you know, you, you know, he's just, he's just oozing the sort of the qualities needed to be a world champion and to lead a promotion and stuff like that. And there's, and there's part of me that's going like, I had those things then I just wasn't allowed to, to bring them out because I, it, it was, it was this weird sort of, pissing contest and you know i just uh you know i i i remember i'm probably the only well i don't know this to be true but i've got to say i'm pretty sure i must be the only guy who was the world champion and was saying i'm out of here when my contract's up <laughs> you know like because that's that and i you know i remember saying that to my friends at the time saying like when when my contract's up i'm leaving i'm not staying and they were like what are you talking about you're the world champion like you're crazy and i was just like yeah but i just i i knew that the I knew that TNA's better days were behind them at that point. And I think that for me, um, I would rather be in a small company getting bigger than a big company getting smaller. Unless of course, you know, the money was, you know, so significantly different, but you know, I make six figures now, but it's, it feels like so much more of an achievement to be making six figures in a startup company that I'm, I'm literally carrying on my back. Do you know what I mean? And helping to build into something as opposed to making six figures, like being a placeholder or just, or being someone that's just kind of like a a puppet. You know what I mean? 
It's so. Um, it, and was the go on? Sorry, Richard. We must. We we'll, we'll edit that. But was the was the um? Did the relationship with Billy Corgan begin within TNA? Barely, you know, because he came in right as right as I was leaving. You know, by the time he showed up, uh, like I I had already had that discussion and said uh, no interest in in staying. So when my contract was expiring it was like i was done so there was you know and and ironically that was when i actually ended up having sort of two fairly good angles as my last ones and it's like so billy i think he came in he me the only thing that we collaborated on was this one segment that that involving me and mickey and james storm that was like my last angle in the company so i mean very briefly and like it, you know, it was fine. Like, but it, you know, it, it thing with wrestling, you know, especially in a, in a company that gets to that sort of size is like, once people know you're leaving, even your friends, it's like, you, you, you might as well have fucking leprosy, you know, it's like, there's no, it's, it's hard to explain because everyone else there still has to, you know, they have to sort of, you know, especially when you're talking about a place like that, that had so many camps at that point and, and TNA's culture had sort of really deteriorated into such a sort of survival of the, you know, survival of the shittiest sort of situation where it was like, you know, everyone was being forced to sort of, you know, play the game and kiss ass and stuff like that. So it was like, when he, here's me and I'm going like, I'm out of here f this place you know and i wasn't saying that but you know that's the that's the sort of that's the that's the perception of it it's like everyone kind of distanced themselves so, so you know billy bless his heart he just you know he's coming in and he doesn't know what's going on but he's just he just all he knows is that like well he's 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 leaving when his contract runs out so he's just kind of like okay hi good to see you do you know what i mean like he's not gonna it's not like he's gonna spend a lot of time worrying about me if he knows i'm on the way out so it was, it was really, um, it was really kind of down to Lagana, I think that when, that when he bought the NWA and after all that debacle, after his own separate debacle with TNA, I think maybe coming out the back of that, then maybe I think he realized shit, no wonder Nick left this place. You know what I mean? And I think then he started to realize, okay, well maybe me and Nick are on the same wavelength you know maybe me and him have the similar sort of viewpoint on things so maybe you know and and when they were starting the nwa and they needed they they needed someone who they could who had enough experience and enough visibility with an audience but also had the right look and had the right sort of presence and had enough experience to be able to sort of do what was required in that in those early days it was like there wasn't that many of us around and i think that he looked at it as like well and and i think like i said because of lagana lagana knew that i loved the business and he knew that i had a lot of passion for how i was presented and which had you know which is which is why you end up in these sort of converse you know you end up in these relationships that can kind of flame out because if you have so much passion and you're very very you know, you're very, very uh, serious about your, you know, you take yourself seriously and you really want to, to be successful. It's like the chances are like someone's going to either love you or hate you. And I think that that was, that was why then when they sort of, when they started this project, they went, I think maybe Nick is the guy we need. And then we had the conversation and, and the rest is history because, 
the conversation with Billy was super easy. Dave called me first and basically said what they were doing. And I basically said, okay, well, this is how I see myself. And this is what I think is missing from the business at this point in time. Because like you said, Steve, I, my career was like in the toilet. I wasn't doing anything. You know, I was like, I'd had the global force debacle, which you know all too well. And then, (laughs) and then there was like, you know, they just had nowhere else was really biting. And like Marty was kind of trying to help sort of get, you know, help sort of uh, help me, help me get my foot in the door with ring of honor. And there was, you know, a little bit of movement there, but not a whole lot. And then it was kind of like, everything felt like it was leaning towards sort of this other type of wrestling that I wasn't really well equipped for. And I basically said to Billy, you know, I feel like I can watch a hell of a lot of really good matches, but I don't see a hell of a lot of really good storytelling. And he basically Mm -hmm. said, I'm kind of sick of seeing my next door neighbors do gymnastics, you know, and I knew exactly what he meant. And so between us, see, you know, we, we realized that we could, even though we may not have had a hundred percent aligned views and, and philosophies, they aligned enough, which is really the most important thing to a, to a symbiotic relationship in pro wrestling. So the original NWA concept then, what, what, uh, was it going to always lead to a television show? Cause originally it was kind of a bunch of kind of social media skits, wasn't it? So what led to, what, what was the start and was there a planned end? What was the goal always going to be? Oh yeah, the, the the goal was always to have original programming at some point, or to, you know, to have a sort of um, to have a more a more uh, traditional, defined sort of wrestling show. But I think that what we realized pretty quickly was that okay, Billy could have pumped a couple million bucks into it, and we could have got a bunch of wrestlers, we could have got a studio or a, or a soundstage or an arena, or we could have got a ring and a bunch of lights and everything else, and we could have done. Dream match, this person, this person, the NWA, yada, yada, yada. And it would have been fine, but it would have just been like another thing then. There would have been no there would have been no unique selling point. There would have been no sort of defining characteristics of the brand. But the other thing that they did was they went out and they managed to get the rights to the Houston Wrestling Library. So they were able to make these packages that included the most iconic people associated with the brand, Ric Flair, Harley Race, Dusty Rhodes, the Funks, you know, Jack Briscoe, et cetera, et cetera, which I cannot, I cannot stress enough, you know, the importance of that in the, in the beginning, because once, once, once they, once they realized that I was someone that they really wanted to work with and vice versa, I basically said, look, I'm not a boxing aficionado, yeah, but I'm going to buy Mayweather McGregor and I'm going to buy Canelo Triple G a month later because this was in 2017. I said, that's, I said, it's, you know, to go from, I haven't bought a boxing pay-per-view in God knows how long, probably since Tyson, you know? And so, and now I'm buying two, in the space of four weeks. And that's all down to the, the quality of the build to both of those fights, which were both completely different because obviously one was all about the personalities in, you know, in Mayweather and McGregor and just this sort of a major sort of event of these, you know, two sort of alpha male kind of egos, very pro wrestling, right? Just, I mean, they, they sold out arenas just to go cut promos on each other. 
And and so obviously I'm swept up in that because I'm just going like, that is what pro wrestling is supposed to be, but it isn't, you know? And, but then I see the build to Canelo Triple G and I was already a Triple G fan. I just kind of, I just liked his, I just got good vibe from him. And obviously I do appreciate the sport. I don't know anything about it, but I'm a fan. And it was, it was like, the way you know the, the HBO, the way that HBO did boxing, I was so I was so devastated when HBO stopped doing boxing. I was just like, because to me, HBO's presentation of boxing is, in my opinion, the is the absolute pinnacle of sports television production. Right? It's just it's this perfect blend of sort of class, but also you know well dramatized. It's this, you know, it, it, it's this perfect balance of of something to be taken seriously, but also with enough razzmatazz and, you know, to make you to, to really get an emotional investment without it feeling cheesy or or exploited. It's they just had it perfect to me. They were just wonderful. And and their their packages they would make, the HBO twenty four sevens. Or the, you know, and and I mean if you wanna if you wanna if you wanna be like engaged for an hour, watch the, watch the, uh, Mayweather Pacquiao is called at last where they, I've, they seen, yeah, I've, I've seen it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, they showed it on Sky when they did the build up over here as well. It was, it was just phenomenal. <clears throat> I've watched it a hundred times and like the fight didn't live up to it, but it's like the, my God, the, the, you know, I could watch the build video to it, you know, forever. And I basically sent <clears throat> my favorite ones all of my, my favorite versions of these to Dave and Billy and said, this, this is made, this is the kind of thing that makes me buy a boxing pay-per-view. And I don't even like boxing that much. You know, well, I don't say don't like it, but I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not going to watch boxing for the sake of it. I'm not going to, if I'm not going to just watch it on TV for no reason. Right. And, and I think so. So I basically started sort of leaning on that and going, why can't we, why can't, why is wrestling not doing this? Like the, the, all the, you know, UFC and boxing, they they stole all the best shit from pro wrestling, you know, and, and now we're not doing it. And that, and that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Even that. Darts is one of the best examples of it. You, you know, take, just for the fact that at least, you know, because MMA and boxing, you could argue that the action is exciting, but with darts, I'm sorry, like it, it ain't that exciting, you know, but uh-huh. they made it into an event and they right characters and entrances and yeah, like razzmatazz. But like, so I think, you know, between <clears throat> that and then with sort of Billy's Billy really wanted to bring back a pro wrestling that reminded him of the wrestling that he watched as a kid growing up in Chicago. And between the two of us, we went, okay, traditional values, modern delivery system, 10 pounds of gold series was born. And we happened on a, we happened on a gem in Tim storm, who was the current champion at the time that Billy bought the company. So, and even though he's, you know, he ain't Ricky steamboat in the ring, bless his heart, but God, he's a believable character and he's a, and he's a rough, you know, he's a, he's a real man and he's a, you know, he's a big rugged and he's a brilliant talker. So between yeah, the two I'll, of us, we had a, we had a natural built-in story, and that just and that kind of set the wheels in motion, and that pretty much set the tone for who we were going to be. 
I wanted to talk about Tim Storm because on paper, if you look at it from outside, if you're looking from a modern wrestling fan's perspective, it shouldn't work. You look right. at it the outside, maybe the way, you, you know, you look at the character, you look at him as a worker, and a modern wrestling fan would look at it straight away going, oh, who's this guy? Who's this old guy? Who's this school teacher who's just suddenly become the NWA world champion? But credit to you and the team um, that you have behind you because, and him as well, he became the best babyface I've seen in decades. He, he right. did that. He, he, his role in that was absolutely superb, and and as you mentioned, just believable and with a mix of sympathy, and it, it was a perfect blend. Yeah, I think that the the thing that for me, having sort of <clears throat> observed the business over the over the course of the sort of preceding five years to when we got started, was that I just felt like there had never been less authenticity. You know, I was just like, none of this feels real, even a little bit. And to me, the magic is in making people forget that it's not real. Not, we're not trying to convince you it's real. That no one's, no one's been able to do that since, since the, since the eighties, and maybe into, the, maybe slightly, maybe the early nineties at best. Yeah, or if you're, or if like, or if you're, you know, maybe, maybe some marks in like West Virginia or, you know, Smoky Mountains and stuff might still <laughs> believe it was real up until like 95 or something. But like, sorry, no one's believed it was completely real for decades. But what they were able to do was they were able to make you forget that it wasn't. And, but to me, like, when you see two guys do, they put these, you know, you see some incredible video package of two guys like, I hate your guts. I'm going to stomp you. I'm going to kick you in the head. I'm going to end your career. And then they go out and do a bunch of like choreographed cooperative spots. I'm just like, you lost me, you know, like, sorry, I don't, I don't understand why, why say that if you're going to do it, why, why say this, if it's going to lead to that, you know? And I don't know, man. I just, I was, all I, all I did was just go, what, what, if I, if, I did a podcast once fairly recently called uh, Desert Island something. It was like like Desert Island Discs, but for wrestling, right? Okay. And they said, you got to take, and I forget how many it was. It was like five matches or 10 matches or whatever it was. And I remember thinking, that's a really good way of looking at it. Because it's like, if I, I thought to myself, if I, if I had to, if I was only allowed to watch 10 wrestling matches for the rest of my life, what would they be? And I thought about it and I put them together and I went, okay, if I just base everything I do off of these, you know, then <laughs> that should tell me where I need to go, you know, as far as sort of the things that worked and why they worked and, you know, everything else is just a fad that's going to come and go. But ultimately the, the same, the same elements that worked in the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, noughties, tens, and now is still the same. And, it, and what was your, what was your first match? Uh, Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect from King of the Ring 93. Oh, really? I was going to say Bret Hart, Austin. Bret and Austin was definitely on there too, yes. Bret yeah. I mean, yeah. to, for me, there's going to be quite a lot of Bret matches on there because he's my guy. And and I th and again, that's a, perf and, and that's a great way of looking at it because that was one of Bret's underlying principles was that he always wanted it to be believable and to, you know, to, to feel like it was really... It, 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 I think, you know, people get off on the wrong exit, you know, with some of this because 
wrestling becomes so tribal sometimes, which is just so, God, it just gets so tiresome listening to these, you know, morons sort of debate like philosophies of wrestling when it's just like, it's a complete, it's completely subjective. But when sometimes when, you know, certain styles of wrestling get criticized and then the, and then you hear, and then you sort of hear the other side explaining why it's like, there's always this sort of, there's always these kind of knee jerk kind of counterpoints. Right. And it's kind of like, so this, so a lot of the time, if a match is, is a, you know, has a bazillion dives and all these high spots and, you know, blah, blah, 10 super kicks, yada, yada, yada. And then someone will say, well, that's not believable. And they'll go, okay, well, you know, a match with this guy just has a headlock for 10 minutes is boring. And it's like, well, why, why did, why are those the two choices? Right? Like really? <laughs> no one's saying that it's either got to be a completely overloaded spot fest or it's got to be a boring you know, match full of long holds, right? Let's just find a middle ground. Like that's the business. You know, everything serves a purpose. A hold serves a purpose. A high spot serves a purpose. A promo serves a purpose. You know, all these, they all serve a purpose and they're to engage an audience in an emotional way to get an emotional response. And the emotional response is then supposed to make them part with their money to buy a ticket or buy a pay-per-view. And like, the best thing that ever happened to to me as far as a performer was having to work was working for a company working for an organization where we absolutely 100% sink or swim based on selling tickets and selling pay-per-view right because now you there's, there's no fat on our show we can't everything has to serve a purpose which is to you know, get people to buy the next pay-per-view or to buy tickets you know, and because we don't get a rights fee for TV, you know, we don't, you know, there's, there's, there's not huge. I mean, we're, we're doing very well. The company does very well on merchandise. It's, it's, it's up into the sort of five figures a month sort of range as far as merchandise sales. So it does well, but it's like, we, you know, our, our sort of, our bottom line is heavily reliant on, you know, getting people to part with their money for a pay-per-view. And I've, and, and I've been able to prove it now a handful of times that I can make it happen, or at least to a decent enough level to sustain the company. I do feel with NWA right now, you're the kind of the wrestling equivalent of Field of Dreams, aren't you? It's kind of build it and they will come. And and you've, you've, you've given them a, co- a concept that is right now, even though it's maybe not original in the annals of time, it's very original right now. And, and, and you've found that kind of real niche in the market. Yeah. I think it's like I said before, I think it's the traditional values with a modern delivery system. And I think that there's a, that the one thing that, that I think that perhaps doesn't necessarily resonate to, to people all over the world when they're looking at this, but once, but if you're in the U S and you, and you're sort of really paying attention, you can, you, I've really started to understand over the years that there it, there is a big portion of people in this country, predominantly in the Southeast, who stopped watching wrestling when WCW went away. Because to them, WCW represented the lineage of the NWA and it dated back and it was the, it was a legacy brand to them and their 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 family. So I started to get a sense of it in TNA because once uh, Hogan and Eric and those guys sort of made a lot of significant changes. There was a big chunk of the audience that sort of left and they, they kind of never came back. And I started to get a sense of it then where I thought, okay, there, there are some people that, you know, that 
really just don't watch WWE. They just, you know, it's just, it's just not for them. And then once I really, once we really started kind of making, making some significant strides with the NWA and, and obviously once we sort of really ramped up with, with the Cody stuff uh, leading up to all in, I started to get stopped by people, particularly like in Virginia, where we were at the time. And so like Virginia and in the Carolinas uh, in particular, you know, all of that sort of, especially in that sort of Jim Crockett area uh, in the Southeast Atlanta, you know, which is one of the reasons why we ended up in Atlanta. It's like all these, these people would stop me. And I mean, grown men with tears in their eyes would be like, I just want to thank you, you know, for bringing, bringing this back to a level that's a respectable level. Like I used to sit with my grandfather and I, I used to watch wrestling with my father and my grandfather. And, you know, it, it means so like they're so, you know, I remember, I mean, I've had emails from people who have said like my, you know, my dad recently passed away, but before he did, he was so happy to see the NWA, like, you know, back in this sort of position and a champion that we could be proud of and stuff like that. Like, and they said, we don't watch, we don't watch wrestling anymore. They said we stopped watching wrestling, you know, in the nineties. And it's just just because for them it was a tradition based on like their sort of local culture, you know, and we we sort of understand that and we're we're tapped into that on a on a small level, but but so we we're trying to find that that's our sort of that's our challenge now is to continue to try to enhance that that reputation with, with, with a lot of the lapsed fans of the business, but also obviously understanding that that's not a long-term solution because, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those people are now in their forties, fifties, sixties, you know? Uh, so it's, it's a case of trying to do that and also cultivate a new audience because, and that's where I think our show is, is somewhat, is, is somewhat successful and unique in the sense that, if you if you grew up with it then and you love studio wrestling then you know what we're getting at but if you've never seen this type of thing before then it feels like something new so it's kind of like it works on either of those levels um you know i always i just i try to remind lagana a lot like the one thing we can't do is get into a dogfight for the same small chunk of the niche sort of hardcore wrestling audience that is left and be in a dogfight with everybody else because we won't survive doing that. We have to generate our own audience. And those are the two things we're going after is, is new young fans and lapsed fans of the business who don't like the sort of, don't like the, the overly choreographed sort of um, silly wrestling and who don't particularly love the sort of uh, overproduced sports entertainment. They love wrestling you know, with an A yeah. and that's kind of what, and, and it seems the thing with wrestling is that it seems that, that over the years, there seems to be this, there seems to be this obsession with all wrestling companies that they don't want to be wrestling companies. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we yeah. went, it, it would have been called it. Yeah, yeah. And we said, look, we're, we're fine. We're, we're, we're wrestling. Like, you know, we're, and we're unapologetic wrestling. The um, uh, we we talked. We've obviously talked about the lows that have happened, and obviously, um, getting back on your feet with the NWA. Let's talk about a real high moment. How vindicating was it that night in Chicago, packed house, on with Cody, on for the title, the big match feel. 
in in the scheme of your career, how highly does that rank? Well, I think I think it's fair to say it's the high point of my career, really. You know, it's it was the most it was arguably the most talked about wrestling match of 2018. You know, and and it's become one. You know, and that show will go down in history as one of the most important shows in the in the tapestry of the business. You know, in this in the modern history of the wrestling business. So, to me, being in a an absolutely jam packed arena like eleven thousand people, and they're standing and screaming and rumbling before we even touch get like a standing ovation at the bell. It's such a unique thing to, to to achieve in the business. And, you know, when obviously you're going into that match to lose, like that's my pop. Do you know what I mean? Like that was my victory that right there, like as a performer, because it was like I knew Cody was going to have his moment at the end. But I and, and I could be wrong about this. I can't poll 11,000 people. Right. But I get the feeling that a part of that reaction at the very beginning was almost like a sort of a, a nod of appreciation for me and for the work that we had done to get to that point. Because I think in their minds, they all knew like, okay, Cody's going to have this great moment and we're going to love it. And it's going to feel like this thing we're all part of, but you, you, you deserve your recognition here. And I think that's part of it. It was, it was this thing of like, this was amazing. Like this was an amazing achievement to, you know, to, to for you, like it's felt like it really felt like something. And Steve, you've known me a long time. It, all I've all I've ever wanted to be is a big time pro wrestler. Do you know what I mean, I've always just I always I always just wanted to feel like a somebody. I don't have to be the most. I don't have to be the tippy top guy all the time. I don't have to be the champion. I don't have to be the highest paid. I don't have to be. You know, I don't have. I don't. I don't like having people lining up to kiss my ass all day. But I just want to feel like a somebody. And on days like that, you know. That whole weekend was just like that was a you know very very validating yeah. I mean the thing was uh, I mean I didn't say anything to you at the time, but six months to a year before that I'd popped along to see you at Gainsborough, which is a, a small market town, thirty minutes from my house, probably a hundred people in there, uh, and I couldn't believe that you were there. To be honest with <laughs> you, it was uh, you know it it, it was. You know, you'd been, I'd seen you probably a year before that um, in a sold out O2. You know, it was, it was, um, and I was, I was a bit gutted for you, to be honest with you, that you, that you'd just kind of gone from a sold out O2. And that's what we were saying about the, the, your, your career at one point really dropping off. Yeah. But, you know, it's the context. You know, it's, it, like, after I first won the NWA title, I had, I had about, maybe 20 or so bookings, you know, already, already confirmed for, for, uh, 2018. Um, and a good chunk of them were in, were in the UK. And yeah. I remember it was kind of like when, once we made the decision to, to, to switch the title to me, I remember we had, we had these discussions because we obviously we were doing the 10 pounds of gold series and everything. And, we were sort of discussing like, okay, do we, do we just do like a title match every now and then to sort of, you know, to, to go for that big fight feel kind of like more like boxing or like MMA where it's, you know, there aren't title matches all the time. It's only every now and then and, and whatever. 
or, you know, how do we do this? And I just remember that within a couple of days of winning the title, that was when we first really could tell that we were starting to kind of track and we were starting to get attention because my email within the space of two or three days, I had, I'd been emailed by basically every promoter I was booked for saying, Hey, I just, you know, I was just wondering if we can make it a title match now, you know, now that you're the champion, can it be a title match? And all these people and, and, and they all wanted title. And I, I, I said to Dave and Billy, they all want title matches. And I said, it's, we're trying to build the brand, right? We're trying to reestablish the credibility of the world championship of the 10 pounds of gold. I said, what better way to do that than to, to be able to continuously report that the championship was just successfully defended in Gainsborough, England. It was just successfully defended in so-and-so England. So it's just successfully defended in so-and-so. And then, you know, I said, look, I, I'm, I've got bookings in Australia coming up in the summer. It's like, but I said, you know, if we play it by, by the middle of this year, I could have defended the title on like, you know, four different continents because then we had, because we had China as well. So it was like suddenly, and so we just went, yeah, let's just, yeah, shit, let's give it to all of them. So it was like, and that's when people started really, and we did, because we had no idea how people were going to take to it, you know? And uh, it was, it was, that's, that's when we really started to see those, those lapsed fans that I was talking about really starting to sort of make their voices heard on social media because they started going, this is what I miss. Like a real world cha- traveling world champion. He's, you know, he's defended the title in England. He's defended it in the States. He's defended it, you know, coast to coast. And now he's going to China and then he's going to be in Australia. Like, cause we would post all the upcoming title defenses. And suddenly it was like this thing of like, wow, this is old school, you know, but it was, it was the thing people couldn't get their heads around cause it was old school, but it was all being done in real time on YouTube. So then it was like, so it felt new but it was a throw, but it was a tip of the hat to the old traditional way. And then, you know, that was an, it was just, there was this real sort of, um, I think there was this real appetite at that point in time with the audience for people doing it their own way. I think they were really starting to sort of understand that like, because of, because of the work of like Marty and the Bucks and Cody and and some of these other guys, I think they had really started to understand, like, we need to appreciate guys who are doing it their own way and not all just sort of, and, and not, not looking to get signed by WWE because those, none of those guys I just mentioned, none of us were trying to get signed by WWE anymore. We weren't like, yeah. and the problem with the indies is that, you know, you see a lot of guys and it's like, it kind of, it kind of lacks emotional investment because, you just see guys and you just know that they're all just dying to go get a WWE tryout. So it's kind of like, you know, no one really feels sort of polished because they just, because they're all just, and, and look, I was one of those guys for a long time because, because you get told, Oh yeah, they, they want you to be a blank slate, you know, like, so I would have fucking boring generic fucking gear. I would, you know, I'd have like, just like, you know, plain like, uh, you know, biker shorts and boot and everything else because I was like, yeah, I want to look like a, I want to look like a blue chip prospect. You know what I mean? I want to look like a, a clean slate for them, you know, and all this kind of thing. And then I started realizing, no, like the, the goal shouldn't be to get signed. The goal should be to draw money and like be a, you know, be a somebody and be a star. And like the, the, you know, Marty was a big inspiration in that for me because I realized wait, I don't have to wait for someone else to make vignettes for me. I can make my own fucking vignettes. 
you know, and, and, and stuff like that. And it was like this, this, this whole sort of culture came along. And I think because what, what we were doing was different again, it was like people went, wow, cool. There's some, finally some fucking variety in the business. So, but you know, with, with all those elements, it was enough to get Cody's attention. And then of course with Cody, you know, he's always looking at the next, he's always looking for his next sort of headline thing. And I think obviously he saw, you know, the NWA, you know, for obvious reasons, there was a desire there for him to sort of be a part of it. And I was more than happy to sort of open that door because it was like, I knew that it would put me on a different, you know, it it would, it would reestablish my credibility. And, And in fact, you know, probably take it to a higher point than it had ever been before. Well, yeah. Right. A couple more questions for you, mate, and we shall let you go and get, uh, is, is your little boy there? Is he, uh, are you babysitting? Uh, well, yeah, Mickey's here too. They're, they're, uh, Oh, is she off? Is she? Yeah. 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 Luckily she has not, um, she has not been required to go, um, to go, to go in for these, you know, for these, these shows and stuff. I, She's been. What's she doing? Commentating. She's been commentating on me well because she's been. Yeah, she's been rehabbing a knee injury. So I, I think she's not. She she was just about to be sort of officially cleared when all this sort of stuff happened. So I think she's not officially cleared. So it's kind of like and and that you know at the moment there's obviously with because she would have to be cleared at the performance center. So right, and obviously okay. that's where they're shooting everything. So it's kind of like. They'll, you know, that goes yeah. on hold. So, you know, but hey, good, good thing for us. We, we, we've had, we've enjoyed a, a, an unprecedented amount of uh, time, time. and family. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and was, like I yeah, said, unfortunately for us, we are both still currently getting paid and, you know, Marvelous. counting up lessons. Yeah, absolutely. That was, no doubt. Yeah, that's where, we, that's where we've been lucky. We've got, my wife's a teacher, so we're, we're still getting paid. Yeah, so that's yeah. good. Right, couple more, mate. Uh, we lost Harley Race uh, this year. I know you got to spend a little bit of time with him. Uh, what was Harley like? Well, I, you know, I have to, I have to be honest here. I, I, it wasn't like I knew him really well. It wasn't like we were super close. So you know, I went to his camp in uh, two thousand seven, and he was really cool to me at the time. And and there were there were a handful of us who went. Sam Shaw was one of them, who's now Dexter Loomis in NXT, um, and. There's a few other guys, but the, Harley, uh, you know, I don't know. He must have he must have seen something because he, you know, he would pull me to one side during that camp and be like, "You're gonna be something, kid. You keep at it." You know, you do. but he, you know, he's he, he's not gonna he, he's not gonna really sort of. If you know Harley, he's obviously he's known for being a very you know he was super gruff and and a real sort of man's man but he was a sweetheart too you know and he was he did enjoy um helping out you know younger guys and he's just not going to waste his time with people who he thinks are not going to be good for the business but i mean i remember him taking me into his office and showing me all these old 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 pictures of him and like in japan and old sort of old st louis programs and pictures of him slamming andre and stuff like that so it was, you know, I just just really remember just it being a really special time for me to just think, you know, it was, wow, cool, Harley Race, like, kind of likes me, you know, and and I maybe run into him here and there during like whenever whenever TNA would go through St. Louis or Kansas City or something, he might come, um, and you know, I 
I was the first time I saw him in, in a long time. I was like, I didn't even think he would remember me because I figured, a, you know, how how many guys have been through his camp, you know. And I, so I went out to him and said, Hey, you know, I went to your camp in 07. It's really good to see you again. But he was just like, Yeah, how you doing, Nick? You know, and I was like, Oh, cool, you know. Um, but then I think for me, you know, it was special because with with the NWA stuff, uh, Harley had been approached you know a couple of times before to be involved with with stuff to do with the nwa but before you know the before billy had got a hold of it and you know it it wasn't the it wasn't the highest quality stuff and harley had basically whatever the last thing harley had sort of agreed to do with with that incarnation of the nwa had obviously not been that good and he'd basically said i'm never doing anything with the NWA ever again. It's a shell of its former self. It's, you know, blah, blah, blah. So like, don't ask me. Um, so for, for, you know, to be able to get past that and to the point where not only, you know, not only was he willing to, to sit down with me and, and do the, do the stuff for 10 pounds that we did, but also he wanted to you know, he he wanted me to headline his show, you know, in in in, in St. Louis, and have a title match and everything. And it was with Leyland. His it's not his real son, but it's that's he he treats him like a son, and he get and he and he gave him the last name Race. Um, that was you know for me was a very cool accomplishment to think. Okay, Harley, who said he would never do anything in the NWA again. Now, you know, because of the work that I've been able to do is has basically said, OK, yeah, this I want to be involved with. Um, and I believe that my sit down interview, my sit down with Harley was the last on camera stuff he did before he passed away. So uh, it was yeah, it was um, it, it meant a lot to me to be involved with that. And then, you know, to be to be invited to the funeral and, you know, because it wasn't. Um, I, you know, I won't, I won't say the names of the people who were there just because I, I just don't, I feel like it's sort of in, in poor taste, but it wasn't a huge deal there, it was quite a, quite a limited number of people, but just like the, the people that were there were, it, I mean, it was, a, it was like, I, it was a real sort of who's who of, of legends of our business and, and, and big names currently too. And I remember thinking like, it's pretty cool that I was invited to this, you know, that they you felt like I was, you know, worthy of sort of, you know, coming to pay my respects. So yeah, it was, it was, um, I, 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 I understand how valuable Harley's endorsement of me has been, you know, Harley and Dory Funk both, you know, in the last couple of years sort of went out of their way to, to really kind of, uh, publicly kind of endorse me and what I was doing. So that, that goes a long way and you can't really, you can't really buy that. I was going to ask more. I've always interested about any Brit that moves abroad and kind of settles abroad. Do you feel more British when you live abroad than you do living in England? I, hmm, I think I feel, I usually, I feel more British as soon as I get home. Like I, I don't, um, like I like well, listen to that. I still said home, you know. I I still consider it home. So when I, um, 
I do get homesick and, and, you know, recently I've found myself being very, very homesick, you know, and I think just because of all the craziness is sort of your, your instinct is to sort of be where you feel the most comfortable. Um, you know, here's the thing. I've been in America for 10 years and truthfully, my whole, my whole childhood, I sort of, I think I was always dreaming of coming to America. All the things that really, captured my imagination happened to be American things, you know, American movies, TV shows, and obviously wrestling and stuff like that. But it, look, my son is American technically, you know, and obviously my wife is American, but it's like, it will never hundred percent feel like home to me. And and obviously the, the country, what you know your your view of it as a child versus what you see it as as an adult are two very different things and i fully understand and appreciate the value of of opportunity in america you know as far as sort of on a commercial level but i <laughs> that me and tom and spud and marty and you know a lot of the brits that live here now we'll talk to each other sometimes and we all kind of have that same thing of like it's great here, but God, it's, you know, it's scary sometimes. And, <laughs> and I, as I, I, I always say this, I love America, but Americans scare the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it, this country is, it's the land of extremes. You know, there are the smartest people here and the dumbest and there are, you know, the fastest people here and the slowest, and they're the craziest people here and the most, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a land of extremes. Like every, you know, the chances are the, 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 you know, the most extreme case of any quality or, or detriment is going to be here. And it's a little bit like the wild west. It's kind of like, yeah, you, you have the chance here to, to succeed on a level that you cannot succeed anywhere else in the world. But with that comes some risk, you know, and that's, and once you sort of look at it like that, where it's kind of like, Hey, yeah, you, you know, yeah. Like you want to come here and make big money. Cool. But you know, you're not going to have the safety net of healthcare. You know, people are allowed guns here, you know, all this kind of, it's like, you've got, you know, there's just a lot of things you've got to sort of make peace with because you're not going to change them. Um, and so, you know, there are times where I think, God, I miss, I miss Britain, you know, just because culturally, obviously it's just different. And fortunately for me, you know, we're more connected than ever. So I'm, I'm able to feel a bit more connected. Like I've been watching, I, we, I get, uh, on Xfinity, we have Sky News so I can watch Sky News in real time and at least feel somewhat connected because, you know, to me, I, st- I want to still feel connected to my people. You know, I love America, like I said, and, 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 you know, I'm very proud of the fact that I've been able to make something of myself here. But at the same time, it's like, I still look at British people as my people. Yeah, absolutely. Right, my mate, you're, a, you're an absolute diamond as always. All right. Thanks, boys. I love you. Yes, and, I love you guys too. Uh, I'll, uh, yes, I'll, I'll see you again, hopefully soon. So thanks very much to Nick Aldis for coming on the show. What a lovely geezer that man is. 
Uh, don't forget we are also re-uploading the fantastic interviews of Marty Jones, Ricky Knight and Danny Boy Collins. Uh, they're going to be uploaded the same time as this, this, this interview. Uh, so take a listen to them as well. Some absolute classics uh, that garnered a lot of interest at the time. So listen to those two. Also join us on social media. Seconds away it's night time on Facebook. Uh, you can also check us out on Twitter at night it's time. And please, please subscribe. Uh, we're going to be uploading loads of interviews upcoming during this coronavirus outbreak to hopefully cheer you up a little bit. Uh, so check us out and do subscribe. We'll speak to you very, very soon. New uploads all the time. Thanks for listening. Be seeing you.